in need of your, your words uh, to strengthen us and just keep us in the midst of uh, a world uh, that opposes your son. Uh, we ask you today that you would strengthen us, build us up in our faith, Lord God. Remove all those things that are unlike you. And again, Father, we, I want to say that we love you. And we also want to tell you that without Jesus Christ, uh, our very uh, spiritual existence uh, would be completely uh, made of nothing. Uh, but because of your Son, Lord God, uh, that you give us great capacity uh, to walk in your ways, uh, not according to our strength, but according to your strength alone. So we give our hearts to you this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we don't know the exact cause of the rift, but a few days ago, two brothers in Huntley, Illinois, uh, they were obviously fighting. And uh, one brother shot the other brother. And in the process, uh, one brother shooting the other brother, uh, that the mother decides that she wants to get involved. Uh, this mother is 81 years old. So this 81-year-old mother, she gets involved in the fray, and she gets shot. She gets grazed by a bullet uh, from one of the sons. These two sons... 50 and 48 years old in a, in a riff uh, because of something that I don't know what it was about. But one thing that I do know that these two sons had come into town to be with the mother because two weeks prior on May 16th, a 45-year-old brother drowned. So now here it is. It's already a very sad time. The one brother, the one son, had already passed away, and now these two sons are acting a fool. One pulls the gun out and shoots the other, and I believe one is now dead. The other is now dead. What causes people to go off on the deep end, especially when you're going through a very unhappy time? I don't know. Violence is already senseless. But it's even more senseless when it occurs within the family. Why? Because we believe that within uh, our family, that, uh, that what we used to say as kids, that, that blood is thicker than water. We believe that family wins out even if we have a disagreement with someone. You know, we used to say also that, you know, uh, I can fight with my brother or my sister as much as I want to. You just better not mess with them. You see, our families, we share a bond that cannot be substituted for anything. These brothers here in Huntley, Illinois, for whatever reason, they were not able to get beyond some type of disagreement that caused this very violent situation to occur. So what happens when we're not able to let go? <laughs> I mean, are there any negative repercussions 
for our refusal to move ahead and to move on. If you've been around for any period of time, you know uh, about the powerful aftermath of a refusal to forgive someone. You know what happens when you don't forgive someone uh, what's left in its wake. Well, today we're going to take a look at two other brothers. This time they're a little bit closer than uh, the other brothers I just mentioned to you because they are twins. But for these brothers, uh, their discord actually began in the womb. As one was coming out, uh, the other decides to reach his hand out and be number one coming out of the womb. This is not a made-up story, brothers and sisters. This is as real as you and me. Their story does not occur in Huntley, Illinois, but it occurred in the Middle East. It did not happen last week, but thousands of years ago. But one of the main differences between these two stories is that God allowed uh, this story uh, that we're going to talk about today to be told through Scripture. Therefore, God wants to tell us a few things. So I would have you to sit up and take notice. Uh, Take a look at what God, hear what God wants to tell you today. Well, uh, we must not ignore or discount this story either. Oh, I've heard that all before. I'm telling you that even in this story that God has a word for you today. Uh, Let's look at Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Genesis 27, verse 41. And here uh, we'll read first that holding a grudge that it can cultivate a lifetime of unforgiveness Hear what I'm saying? Uh, that when we cultivate or nurture a grudge, uh, that it can bring on a lifetime of unforgiveness. Chapter 27, verse 41 of Genesis. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau said to himself, that's all right. So that's all right. You know, you did all this to me. You, you just wait. Because daddy's going to be dead soon. Can you imagine uh, thinking about the future based on when your father dies? That's okay because daddy's going to be dead soon. And and man, when he's dead, you're going to be dead. What led up to this seething pot of emotional stew? Well, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, if you recall, remember how how Jacob, he manipulated his brother Esau into giving his birthright away all for a pot of stew. You see, in those days, uh, children did not want their parents' watches. Uh, 
A child did not want uh, their parents, their fathers, or their mother's computers. Uh, they didn't want that stuff. What the children wanted above all things at this time, you, do, do you know what it was? It was the blessing of the Father. What the child wanted above all things that could be had was the blessing of the father. So you may not have much as a father. You may not be rich according to the world's standards. And if you are a single mother, mother the same applies to you as well. You may not have much for your children, but one thing that God has given you, he has given you the ability to bless your child. God allowed blessings to flow from the father to his children. I don't believe this is something that ceased, you know, that, that this was not the end of this, that we see this in the Old Testament, and then the fathers are supposed to stop blessing their children. And I want to tell you today uh, that if you are a father, if you are a single mother, that God gives you the spiritual authority to bless your child. When was the last time you blessed your child? The parent would therefore bless their child. They could also warn their child or encourage the entire family with this authority. God has endowed you with this spirituality. Use it. And now we have Jacob, that he wanted this blessing so much that he was willing to manipulate his brother to get it. That Jacob, he, he saw the power of the blessing of daddy. And he says that I want daddy to bless me so much that I'm willing to trick my own brother to get that blessing. And for that matter, even to trick my father. Well, uh, he was very successful. Uh, because you know what happened. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, please. And I'm going to read in verse 16, read the entire context if you like. But this uh, verse or two is about Esau, unholy like Esau, it says. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So that's what happened to Esau. Uh, that he sold his blessing for a pot of chili, for a bowl of chili. Uh, Esau was therefore culpable that he uh, had played a part in himself not receiving the blessing from his father. He was to blame because of his willingness to barter the blessings from his father, uh, sub subsequently uh, the blessings of God. Uh, so when you reject, uh, listen to me children, amen? Now, children, are you listening to me? 
when you reject the blessings from your father, you reject the blessings from God. I hope you're listening to me. I'll say it one more time. Look, if your father, if your mother decides that they want to bless you, you better receive it. You better not come to them talking about, get your hand. What are you doing? Is that crazy? You better not do that because you could be shunning a blessing from God himself because God works through the parent in order to raise up the child. Therefore, if you disregard the parent, you disregard God. So I'm telling you today, child, are you listening to me, child? That when your parent decides to bless you, you receive that blessing as if it comes from God because it is. We all must learn not to despise and trade the blessings of the Lord for the temporary either. Don't be in such a hurry to reject God's blessings all because of what you can get right now. Because of what you can get right now that soon it will fade away. Can you imagine that for Esau? Imagine that if you would, uh, that he traded in his birthright blessing for a bowl of chili, right? You eat food, right? And you know what happens to food within about 24 hours or less amount of time. It's gone. Amen? It's gone. Your food is gone. Ain't no more. Uh, Jacob didn't say, you know, I'm going to cook you at least, you know, I would have said, Jacob, you know, okay, tell you what, I'll give you my birthright blessing if you cook me uh, this stew for the next five years. Jacob, I'll take it if you, you know, store up this stew at least for 10 years. Esau said, just give me a bowl. Just give me a bowl of chili and some of those uh, crackers over there, right? And I'm good. You can, you can take my blessing. Don't despise the things of God. So Esau, he was trying to cry his way back into blessings. I'm not sure how many of you have done this, uh, but sometimes some of us, when we have missed the blessings of God, we try to cry our way back into the blessings of God, but it's too late. You see, sometimes that, that God, he, when he provides an opportunity for us to be blessed by him, that we have to take it while God has given it to us. Else, when it's gone, it's gone. Now, I'm not saying that through Jesus Christ that all our blessings disappear, but all I'm saying is simply this. There are certain things in your life, and you know this to be a fact, you know this to be a fact. There are certain things in your life, in my life, in which God grants us an opportunity to go hold on to, and we either take that opportunity to say yes or no. So when God brings the blessing to us, we are to say yes and not no. We should receive it. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Genesis chapter 27, verse 36, near the end of that verse we have a lot to do, so I'm not going to read all of these verses, but write it down and do whatever you need to do. Esau goes running to his father, and he says, Daddy, have you not uh, reserved a blessing for me? 
So he went begging his daddy now for the blessing that was already his. He already had the blessings of his father, but yet he rejected it in favor of a bowl of chili. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? So in other words, instead of having God's best, he went to his father and said, Daddy, uh, you got any leftover blessings from me? He wanted leftover blessings from his father, all because he did not have that one thing that's really important, and we learned about this in leadership yesterday, that one thing that's really important in our life, and that is, as a leader, as those who follow Jesus Christ, that we must also have this one fruit of the Spirit, and it is called self-control or self-discipline. All gone because of his low view of these blessings. So now he was mad at his brother. Well, he had nothing left. His brother had now tricked him, right? And the birthright blessing was his. His father gave another blessing, so on and so forth. And there was nothing left. So all Esau had was what my friends down south in Dallas and Texas call and maybe some of you call it as well all he had left was haterade that's all he had left was haterade all I could have now I can't have the blessings of my father and now uh, deep down inside of me I'm feeling cursed like there's nothing else left for me so all I could really have is hate so I'm going to take that hate and I'm going to grow it I'm going to take that hate and I'm going to water it. I'm going to take that hate and I'm going to put it out in the sun every single day. And I'm going to nurture that hate and I'm going to nurture that hate. And then we're going to see what's going to happen. So when you can't get back at that person that you want to get back who hurt you so badly, what do you do? You hate them. What about you? What do you do? Or what have you done to get back at that person that you know who treated you like a dog? Many of us, much like Esau, only have hatred because with it we believe it shortens the life of our enemy. Because deep down inside, we are silently hoping that something bad happens to them. Come on, you, you, you tell the truth now. You be honest with God. Deep down inside of you, and, and I know this uh, to be true, right? Been there, done that. I'm going to be honest. Been there, done that. And been delivered a couple of times, amen? Deep down inside, you were just, you're, you're saying, well, praise the Lord, and God is going to take care of that situation. I'm good. I'm done with it. And you're saying to myself, I just wish they'd die. <laughs> oh, you're not telling anyone. Oh, no, you're on the outside, on the exterior, you look like you have been delivered. Uh, on the outside, on the exterior, you're raising your hands in worship and people are admiring you because, man, you really got over that fast that, that you were able to make it through uh, in such a strong way. Man, I wish I had what you had. And deep down in your side, you're saying, man, I want to get that person so bad. I hope they have a car accident. You know, all of the stuff you start thinking up in your mind. 
you know? You're saying that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, but your heart at the same time in its very duplicitous manner is saying uh, that you hate this person and you will hold on to this grudge for the rest of your life. It's very interesting. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Right, so this is the fascinating thing that the very same word that bro, uh, that Joseph's brother his brothers is using to describe uh, an emotion that they think that Joseph had that word hate that this is the exact same word that Esau uses concerning his brother Jacob, same word. Joseph's brothers they believe uh, that Joseph that would he would pay them back that he had a grudge against him. But uh, in our passage today with Esau, uh, he said he would purposely hold a grudge until he finally had a chance to pay back Jacob. Uh, this time it was true. Uh, with Joseph, Joseph was not holding a grudge. Uh, but with now with Esau, Esau was holding a grudge. What is a grudge? It is keeping long-term resentment against another, suggesting a smoldering anger and the potential for vengeance. So when you're holding a grudge, you are hoping somehow, some way to get that person back, or you're hoping that the situations or the circumstances of life would simply just knock that person off of their hobby horse. Hmm. Esau said there in chapter 27, verse 41 again, he says, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau said, I ain't in the forgiving mood. Uh-uh, nope. I'm not forgiving nobody. So uh, later we're going to see what happened with Esau's grudge that he had. But what if the Lord places you in a position to bring reconciliation? What if you see two brothers or two whoever that they are fighting this whole thing and God uh, miraculously brings you into this situation to bring reconciliation? Would you make things better? Or would you make things worse? Genesis 27, verse 42, and I tell you this, never become an enabler of unforgiveness. Never become an enabler of unforgiveness. Here's the word. Verse 42. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you, of you both in one day? 
Look at uh, the mother's response towards Esau's threat. Well, well, first, what should she have said? Uh, she should have said that, you know, uh, uh, let me be the voice of reason because I'm the adult here, right? Uh, she should have said, we need to compromise. Uh, that Rebecca, this mother, uh, that she should have been the voice of apology. So using her maternal instincts and nurture, uh, she should have brought the family together. Uh, would you not agree? As mother, she should have said, hey, you guys stop acting a fool and let's come together and let's get this thing uh, right. The difficulty in the situation was that she was also dealing with her own biases. And that got in the way of reconciliation. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to help someone else out of a, situ uh, of a situation concerning reconciliation if you yourself are carrying tons of baggage. So if you're looking for someone to help you, don't look for someone to help you who has a ton of baggage themselves. I tell you to run from them. Look for someone else who's free in the Lord. So Rebecca's response was to tell Jacob, her son, uh, to run and run fast. She told Jacob, get up, run to your uncle's house until your brother chills out and forgets about the whole thing. <laughs> it's very interesting, again, that when we look in the passage, there is nothing there at all that remotely suggests the desire for forgiveness. There was nothing there concerning the desire for forgiveness for the wrongs that were committed. Her advice was to run away and stay gone until Esau forgets about the whole thing. Well, if you know anything about the story, one thing that you know, you also know that Rebecca was the one who told Jacob to go ahead and trick uh, his brother in the first place. So she was instigating from the very beginning. So she tells her, her son, Jacob, go ahead and run to your uncle's house. Stay there till he forgets about it. And I, and I would have asked her, I would have said, and how long would that be, Mom? How long do you want me to stay gone for stealing something that didn't belong to me and what you told me to steal? How long do I need to stay gone for taking something that will last for generations from my own flesh and blood? How long, Mom? Mom, was that even right in the first place? When someone has hurt you, when someone has hurt you really bad, how long did it take you to forgive? How long did it take you just simply to forget? <laughs> was it hours? Days? Weeks? Months? Was it years? In fact, are some of you still trying to heal from the hurt uh, that has uh, come over you? And I know you asked that question. You asked that question. People are always talking about forgiving. How can I forgive someone when I can't forget what happened to me? How can I forgive when I can't forget what happened to me? You know, we as people, we can't uh, seem to shake off that hurt, so we must learn how to forgive so we don't hurt ourselves. But I also want you to remember this, that you are not God, 
And only God is able to forgive and forget. For some of us in here, that you may end up carrying around the, uh, the vestiges of that event for the rest of your life. We can forgive, but the problem is forgetting. Well, quite frankly, I believe that sometimes it's unwise to forget. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's unwise to forget, especially when someone has done something that's very dangerous, that has a potential to hurt someone else. Well, no, you can't forget that. You have to remember that. Because if you don't remember that, then you will endanger yourself or someone else again. Oh, it's important to remember sometimes. So sometimes it is wise to remember. But forgiveness is a different story. We must forgive. We must forgive. Well, how do I do that? Well, God says to seek him first. In other words, we are, we are to put our minds solely on the things of God. But you say, I can't do it. Well, the reason you can't do it is because you don't spend time in prayer. You don't spend time reading scripture asking God for deliverance. Because you see, the more that we run to God, the more our mind is focused on God and the less we're focused on that situation. Yeah, it's going to come up. It may come up. Eventually, it will begin to fade in the background. Uh, sometimes it may not ever go away. But I'm saying to you that God is bigger than your situation. That God will allow you to walk through this with such victory that he will in turn bless your life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. But when you can't seem to get your mind off of that hurt, this is what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things or dwell on these things. So Paul says that when you find your mind start to get into that slippage, he says think on the purity of God. Think about the things that are right. Focus on God's word. Remember God's word. And the more that we focus on that, uh, the less we'll be concerned about the other things. Because when you are dwelling on the hurt, when you're holding on to that grudge, you refuse to hold on to the things of God. When you fail to dwell on the things of God, then hurt becomes your idol. Yes, if not properly harnessed, unforgiveness can become your new mate. That unforgiveness is your new God. By not dwelling on those things and renewing your mind with God's word, then that hurt will fade and no longer hold prominence in your hearts. Well, whatever happened to Esau's family, Jacob's family, what happened? Did forgiveness ever reconcile the family? Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. 
Genesis 32, verse 3. Here's a story now. Jacob, he's on his way back home. After being away at his uncle's house, now he returns. Let's pick it up. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And if, by the way, if you don't know what Edom is, Edom is a name that they have also given to Esau uh, concerning uh, the nation. So when you see the word Edom, know in Scripture that they're talking about Esau or the descendants of Esau. Verse 4, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, this time this is actual brother to brother, uh, look at this now. Now Jacob is calling his brother who he had tricked and manipulated and stole his birthright. Now he's calling his brother Lord. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau. Look what he calls himself. Thus says your servant Jacob. He was biting. After all these years, uh, over probably over 25 years had now passed, he was going back to his brother and he was biting up a storm. He says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, he's biting, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord, he's calling his brother Lord again, in order that I may find favor in your sight. In other words, uh, I'm trying to come home. I'm tired of being gone. And I'm just so sorry as sorry can be. And you, my Lord, and what can I do? Verse 6, and the messengers returned to Jacob. So they sent a message back to Jacob now. And, and they said, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. Oh, and by the way, not just him, but there are 400 men with him as well. Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Huh, I'd, be, I'd be pretty scared too. Isn't that interesting? So, so mama told Jacob that soon your brother is going to forget, but Jacob has that thing in, in, in his mind, at the front of his mind, knowing that, man, that I'm in trouble. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camel into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So if you don't know what happened, so this would happen, right? So Jacob, he sets up all his people. He got lots of animals, right? He got a big old family. He got a bunch of kids, you know, uh, kids coming up and all this other. All this thing is going on. And so he sets, he, he sets his, his clan up into all these camps, right? He has one camp. It goes first, followed by the next camp. It goes next, followed by the next camp, and on and on and on. And then the last camp was Jacob. You see what he was doing? So Jacob was saying, look, so if my brother decides to kill people, he's going to kill everybody else first, and then hopefully since I'm last, I can get away. So he put his entire family on the line for his own neck. Man, a man after God's own heart. 
So the animosity that existed between these two brothers did not end with them parting their ways, so it was still there. After many years had passed, Jacob had surely not forgotten what he had done to his brother. He expected Esau to attack him and his family. If Jacob did not forget, neither did Esau. I know it would seem like a good uh, close to a sad story to say that they all live happily ever after. We all must understand that God never desires to make anything appear in Scripture better than what it was. Scripture is real life. You live in real life. I live in real life. God says, you look at the Scripture, you see how these people live, and you learn your lesson. In a world ruled by God's kingdom and subsequently his principles, it would be a lot easier for all everybody to just get along. This is a tough thing. This is tough. Mending relationships is tough. It's tough. So, but I want you to take a look at another thing. So they end up uh, coming and crossing together. Esau let his brother and his, his clan pass. There was no fight, by the way. There was no fight. End up no fight at all. But I want you to take a look at this other passage. Would you turn with me? And look in the table of contents if you need to. To Amos, chapter 1, verse 11. Amos Chapter 1, verse 11. And I'm almost done. Amos chapter 1, verse 11. And I'm reading. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Remember who I said Edom was? Uh, Edom, uh, and in this case now, Edom is, these are the descendants of Esau. You hear what I'm saying? These are the descendants of Esau. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. In this prophecy of impending judgment on the descendants of Esau, uh, are now spoken in terms of the anger in which they harbored in their hearts. So now, get this. These are now the descendants of Esau. The prophet Amos is prophesying to Edom. And he's saying that God's wrath is about to come on you. Why? Because you still hate your brother. You know how long that was? It was 1,000 years. 1,000 years, and they were still holding a grudge. So because of what their father Esau had held within his heart, what happened was that that same emotion, that, of, that feeling uh, spread to his children, his children's children, his children's children's children, and so on and so forth. You see, if you don't get this forgiveness thing right, then you run the risk of whatever is going on you being spread down to your own kids. And they weren't even there. Hmm. A thousand years is a long time to hold a grudge against somebody else. They did not let it go. They did not allow God to minister to them. As I said last time, we often want to put ourselves in the place of God and we want the offenders to be uh, punished but God says, no, 
I'm just going to give you this reference. Please write this down. Numbers chapter 20, verses 17 through 20. Numbers chapter 20, verses 17 through 20. And here in the interim, you get a chance to see this was several generations after Esau and Jacob, and you'll get a chance to see what had actually happened here. Of course, this was during the time of Moses. Again, Esau or Edom, uh, that they, uh, uh, they were just absolutely mad and they were willing to fight them. So this is really tragic because if all you have in your heart for another is contempt and anguish, you set yourself up. Listen to what I'm saying now. Listen. So they held on to this grudge so long until finally they set themselves up to be judged by God. Do you hear, did you hear what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that they held on to this grudge until finally God, he looked at it and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you because of your grudgment. God will judge because of our refusal to let go. <laughs> Proverbs 28 and 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Of course, this is talking, the context of that verse is talking about gossip. Uh, but what I want to tell you is that if you continue to add wood onto the fire of your hate, that fire is never going to go out. You have to stop feeding the fire. When there is no wood, there is no fire. Today, God has given you the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit to remove the power of unforgiveness through the guidance and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Again, Lord, you are chipping away at the veneer and the depth of hate and a grudging attitude in our hearts. And we just want to take this hate and contempt that we have for another person and we want to put it on your altar. And we want to ask you to forgive us. As you pray with me, brothers and sisters, I do, I want you to search your hearts and your minds right now. And we're going to be dealing with this again for a couple more weeks still. But I need for you to search.